Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. What should protesters do? Well, we've we got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we mean business. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, that was uh, Representative Maxine Waters of California, Democrat, who some claim incited violence with those words and in that video. What do you think? We know what happened uh, at the Capitol. The president uh, took a lot of heat for that rally, and we know what some, some people in that crowd did. Will we see violence in the street of America? Uh, with the jury going into deliberations in the Chauvin trial, uh, it's not just the Twin Cities that are tense. I mean, cities all over the country are tense. It's not going to just be the Twin Cities. Police departments at major um, well, cities all around the nation are gearing up for not just possible, but they're saying probable violence to come no matter what the outcome is. So, uh, you know, again, the killing of, of 20-year-old Dante Wright after he tried to run from police when he, he was going to be, when they were trying to arrest him on an outstanding w- warrant, over an aggravated uh, robbery with a weapon charge has only added tension, and we know how that ended up. So these tensions are adding to the perception right now that racism is growing in our country. I do want to talk about this. I don't know where you are on this. Do you feel that that's the case? Is is prejudice rampant in in our country? Is there racism alive and uh, and, and vibrant? I know we're we're hearing a lot of... uh, Talk about Asians now being targeted. From from 2002 to 2013, 70% of Americans believe that race relations were good. And I don't know where you are on it. I mean, that, that's, to me, an incredible number. 70% of Americans believed race relations were good. That's, again, 2002 to 2013. Part of that came because we had our first black president. And then in 2014, that number was cut in half. Uh, the incident that was responsible for that was the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Remember how we talked about that? That was a terrible uh, case, of course. Ever since that, the number of people who believe that racism is rampant in our country has gone up. And and I think there's a number of factors that may contribute to that, and we can talk about that. But is it really, in fact, happening? Are people becoming more racist? Are you more racist? Are your kids more racist? Huh? Or... or is there only this perception that people are becoming more racist? Are, are people of various races in our country actually getting along just fine? But the media is pushing a racial narrative. I mean, if you, look, I, I observe a lot of media. I consume a lot of media. And I see when you watch it over and over and over and over and over again, and you watch the same outlets and you compare them to other outlets, you see the narrative. You see the mantra. You, you see the stories. You see the approach. And I do think that there is a um, – there, there, I think the media is contributing. They're, they're adding fuel to this particular fire. Uh, there was a scholar who's done some work um, to find out what's really in people's minds. His name is Eric Kaufman. He's a professor of uh, politics at uh, Birkbeck College at the University of London and adjunct professor at the Manhattan Institute. He's going to be joining me in just a second. Before I go to him, though, let me just um, – Share with you when I, and speaking of the media, what one media commentator said, and you might be familiar with Chris Cuomo. He's a, an anchor at CNN. Um, 
I can't believe what he said. I think it's terrible. Uh, let's listen to this and feel free to give us your reaction. And you know what the answer is? You really do. You don't like it. I don't like it. It scares me. Shootings, gun laws, access to weapons. Oh, you, I know when they'll change. Your kids start getting killed. White people's kids start getting killed. Smoking that doobie that's actually legal probably in your state now, but they don't know what it was. And then the kid runs and the pop, 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 pop. Cop was justified. Why'd you run? Oh, he had a baseball game tonight. Oh, the white kid. Oh, big family. That house over there. Those start piling up. What is going on with these police? Oh, what? Maybe we shouldn't even have police. That kind of mania, that kind of madness. That'll be you. What kind of commentary is that? Things aren't going to change till white kids start getting shot. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, it, it really is. I think it's absolutely horrible. Uh, and we can talk about it. You're more than welcome to join us anytime. 888-914-9149. And, and, and Nancy Pelosi, I, I don't know if you heard this. Jake was just telling me while that clip was running, that says that Maxine Waters should not apologize for the statements that she made. Oh, boy, they could not wait to... Uh, you know, to uh, impeach the president and, and attack Donald Trump. I'm not making any excuses for what happened, you know, on the Capitol. But for Nancy Pelosi to come out and say Maxine Waters should say what she said, we just played that clip for you. I'll run it again in a minute for you. But let me bring into the conversation right now Eric Kaufman. He's, a, as I said, a professor of politics. He recently published a paper entitled The Social Construction of Racism. In the United States, and you can find out more at Manhattan-Institute.org. He joins me today for some perspective. And, Professor, thank you for your time. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Andrew. You know, this is, uh, yeah, again, and, and I'll, I'll throw this out to you. I'd love to your take on it all. There's a large majority of people in our country who believe that race relations were going well, and I share those stats. Up until 2014, when... Uh, an African-American man, Michael Brown, was killed by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. And, of course, it made headlines, and we saw what happened afterwards. Um, I, I love your take on, on where we are and what has now fomented this this change. Uh, the, the change in attitudes, uh, did, did the number include blacks as well? I mean, what, what's the data revealing? And, and give me your, your, your perspective, your take, your analysis on what we're now seeing. Well, my, my analysis is basically this is uh, essentially about perception and not reality. In fact, it's perception going in the opposite direction from reality. I mean, if we look at, for example, views on interracial marriage, as well as the actual numbers of interracial marriages and births, I mean, it's all been moving in one direction, which is towards greater toleration. So it's now, you know, as recently as the and as 1990, it was a majority who were against uh, interracial marriage, and that's now down to 10%. Um, the number of uh, African Americans shot by police has dropped 60 to 80% since the late 1960s. So in terms of concrete measurable attitudes and behavior that we have uh, been able to track for a long period of time, everything's moving in the right direction. But uh, in terms of perception, you know, if you ask people, are, are race relations good? As you mentioned, uh, you know, right the way from 2003 to 2013, you had sort of 70%. And that's pretty similar, maybe about 5 to 10 points difference between whites and blacks. But generally, a lot of agreement on good race relations. And then sort of post-2014, it's been in the sort of 30 to, to 40s. Uh, you know, a little more than half. Um, and it's com- simply defying reality uh, because of a few 
well-publicized events such as, um, you know, Ferguson or George George Floyd or uh, or so on. So this is media driven. Yeah. So uh, you, <laughs> I would agree with you. I mean, I watch, as I said, a lot of media, and you can see the narrative. So the the sudden drop in the numbers of people who said race relations are good then is attributable to how the media covers a particular story or the pundits that they put on or to the narrative like Chris Cuomo puts forward. So uh, the data, uh, it it proves that and it lays that out? Yeah, it very clearly does. And it's also uh, inflected by partisanship, too, more than we've ever seen before. So, for example, people saying that racism is a big problem in America. If you were to look at, say, white Republicans, that numbers remain pretty constant from what it was in 1995. It's sort of in the 30%, 30%, somewhere around there. If you were to look at white uh, liberals, for example, um, they were sort of running at about 40% right up until sort of 2014-15, and now it's up to 80%. It's sort of doubled between sort of 2015 and 2020. And if you also were to look at the content of uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, BuzzFeed, and other sort of either legacy progressive media or new progressive media, you would see an enormous uh, upsurge, again, documented through big data search uh, in the use of terms like racism, white privilege, etc. So there's been a sort of huge focus from the media uh, yeah. on these topics, and along with that, this increase. So, so you know, you know, the data points that, yeah, the media is helping to drive these changing attitudes. But what, what's, the, what's the end goal? I mean, what are they hoping to achieve? Is it influenced by political part, you know, partisanship? I, you know, I was having a conversation earlier today with a, a producer of mine simply saying, you know, the media, you know, it, it's just so powerful in reporting on what it wants and what it doesn't, and it does drive attitudes. I was with somebody over the weekend. Well, I won't even go down that, that lane right now. with you. But <laughs> It's a whole other story. But, you know, who is very, very liberal and, and – that's because they only watch MSNBC. They get one outlet, which is, tends to be very liberal, or, or, or CNN. What's the end goal? I mean, wh- what are they hoping to achieve by, by pushing this particular narrative? Well, there's a couple of things going on, I think. I mean, one is this is a genuine ideology or even a religion. I mean, um, John McWhorter calls this the religion of anti-racism. That is, this provides spiritual meaning for uh, you know a lot of people, that they, they really believe yeah. that this is a, a, a sacred crusade. And sure. so... And that thinking, which was in academia, has sort of permeated into the mainstream media now. And uh, you can see things like, uh, you know, staffers in the New York Times when they had an uproar after Tom Cotton's op-ed over the riots. You know, there was simply more uh, activism coming from particularly younger journalists uh, that's changing the content of these papers, and and it's really driving the narrative. All right. Um, But, you know. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought Oh, yeah. Well, no, I, and I think, I mean, there is obviously an electoral advantage to, yeah. uh, you know, to keeping this issue in front and center, yeah, keeping right. up the perception that things are scarier than they are on this issue. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. There is. I mean, the, that particular demographic um, represents, uh, you know, a pretty important vote. So let's take a few calls uh, and feel free to, to respond. Uh, Lou, uh, okay. Lewis wants to... Uh, uh, join the conversation. He's in Chicago. Hi, Lewis. You're on the air today with Professor Coffin. Welcome. Yeah, hi. I just want to make a comment. Um, you know, uh, we could go into a big litany of, you know, who's wrong. And right. we know the Democrats pay the hypocrisy and the double tongue and, mm-hmm. and all that. We can go through that. But uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. I saw a movie many years ago, well, mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. Right. And, you know, these postmodern movies, the uh, criminal got away with it. Right. And at the end, he said this. 
what do you expect? You take God out of the public square. You take God out of the schools. You take God out and you can't pray to him. What do you expect? A just and stable society? No. It reminds me of Romans where Romans uh, in Romans said God gave them to their own lust. Okay, we don't want God. We're taking them out. Here, do it your way. It's a great observation because when um, virtue leaves a society and a culture, then chaos follows. And, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing just uh, what I'm seeing is what was once right is now championed as something that is wrong. Something that's wrong is now made to be right. And our founding fathers, they pointed that out. They said if we are to be successful, this democratic republic is to succeed. It has to be based on a virtuous people. And, and Professor, I mean, we are seeing, you know, I, I, we're, we're living in a very strange time. I, I don't know how you view it, um, but I think that is a great point. When a culture and a society loses virtue, I, I think chaos and, and this type of twisted thinking uh, soon follows. Well, there is, a, there is an argument that, that argues that the decline of, of religion is being replaced with political religion um and and so politics becomes uh the religion i mean i i think this has been germinating for a long time since the 60s and has just worked its way through the universities and now out of the universities yeah. into other other places so um yeah we're seeing the flowering of this but yeah. big big shift since 2014-15 and it's it's very un you know very emotional it's almost like a moral panic so what the response that we saw to the Floyd killing. I mean, it's, if you think about it statistically, right. um, it's an extremely rare event, and yet you had this huge emotional outpouring based on something that is really yeah. rare. Um, so it's not a rational response. Right. Well, Jake, do I have time for another call to take a short break? All right, let me take a short pause. If you're on hold, when we come back, we'll do our very best to get you on the air. I'm joined today by Professor Eric Kaufman, if you want to join us. 888 We're taking a look at the media and uh, this, this mantra of rising racism in our culture. Stay with me. We'll be right Get back. Get connected. At Facebook.com slash Drew Mariani Show. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com. Slash Forrester. What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they they know that we mean business. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. That was uh, Representative Maxine Waters, a Democrat from California, traveled to Minnesota and uh, said, as you just heard her there, protesters got to stay on the streets and get more active, more confrontational. Um, it, 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 this is in context of uh, you know police officer Derek Chauvin. If he is not convicted of murder, then they've got to stay on the streets, be more active, get more confrontational. Now, in 2018, she said, that, uh, of the Trump administration, just to give you a perspective on how she views these things, if you see anybody from the cabinet in a restaurant, department store, or at a gasoline station, you get out, you create a crowd, and you push back on them, and you tell them they're not welcome. This is a member of Congress. This is crazy, if you ask me. I, I just I just don't get it. Uh, so I thought today we'd look at what's going on here today. Uh, there was a study that has come out, and uh, it looked at the media. And this perception of racism that is rising 
in uh, in the country. And you might say, oh, yeah, there's definitely we, we are more divided, more racial, more more prejudicial than we've ever been. Well, this uh, new study is out. Scholars from the Manhattan Institute and the City Journal uh, took a look at this. And what they found is revealing. And I've invited today Professor Eric Kaufman to join us. And, um, you know, your thoughts on Maxine Waters and, and, and that statement as well. Um, again, this is a member of Congress making these types of statements. Um, I don't think they're good for peace. I don't think they're good for the common good. Am, am I misreading what she's saying? Uh, no, I mean I think it's it is deeply irresponsible, and, and you're right to point out the hypocrisy. Uh, you know, people were uh, pointing fingers, uh, in my view, justifiably on the uh, on on January sixth, but then right. to turn around and not uh, talk about this as being you know equally insightful. I mean, you know, I, I just clearly they're getting away with with something that they shouldn't be. I mean, that is. Uh, deeply irresponsible. Also, if you look at the numbers and you look at the facts, I mean, this is just not a large problem, and it's yeah. being manufactured largely by the media uh, and and also refracted through partisan uh, politics. It is you and I were talking during the break, Professor, and, and and you said there's a there's a question out there that sometimes people get wrong, and it's this: Are more black men killed by cars or police bullets? Expand on that, if you could. Yeah, I mean, what what I asked in a survey um, of um, well. A number of surveys. One of of African Americans, eight hundred, uh, was do you know? Do you think that young black men are more likely to be killed um, by the police or by or in a car accident? And the, the correct answer is it's about uh, ten to one in favor of the car accident uh, being more dangerous. So I was just trying to ascertain to what extent people had a good grip on the statistics. Um, and what we see is, for example, uh, eight in ten uh, African American Biden voters. Um, thought that uh, p- police bullets were more dangerous than cars, and seven in ten white uh, white liberals who agreed with the statement that um, white re- Republicans are racist, and about sixty to sixty five percent of white liberals agreed with that statement. But if you take the white liberals who agreed with that, uh, seven in ten of them also got the question wrong, uh, as opposed to only fifteen percent of white Trump voters getting it wrong. So what what we see there is that it's that combination of partisanship and media. Uh, that is um, acting to, in, in, in a way to make people get the wrong answer. And this isn't just an opinion of whether you think racism is going up or down. This right. is, these are hard facts about right. the number of people killed by police and killed in a car accident. So right. this is making people see the world uh, in a skewed way. It certainly is. Bethany is listening in, uh, I believe it's Alpena, Michigan. Hi, Bethany. Hey, how are you guys doing? Well, thanks. Thanks for calling. Good. Okay, I wanted to just add my two cents about a couple things, but the more you talk, the more comments I have, but I can't take up a lot of your time, I know. Um, first of all, I've lost friends over this racism issue very recently because I have made comments that were offensive to them, but I saw no harm in what I was saying. And they said, you are a part of what is called systemic racism, and I had to have them explain that to me because... Uh, I actually don't watch a lot of television, and I live way up north in Michigan, and they live out west. So I, th- I believe they're, like, more socially mm-hmm. cultured than, than I am. Um, but I, I just, I'm a, I was oblivious that I am a part of this problem, systemic racism. So what did you say that drove them away, Bethany? I mean, what, what did you say that was that offensive that they broke off the relationship? It was about Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben. I did not understand why we had to get rid of that. I thought that, you know, Aunt Jemima was a real person. I actually thought she was, that that was based 
on a real cook. And then I made a comment that I thought that the, the plantation workers and staff were treated better than the ones out in the field. And boy, oh boy, my friends just blew up. I lost two of them over it. I'm sorry to hear that. Even uh, though I meant no harm. Right. I meant no harm. <laughs> and, and, and let's talk about that a little bit, Professor. You heard her comments there. There's this talk of systemic racism and white privilege in, in the culture right now. And, you know, we're, look, racism is an intrinsic evil, you know, and, and, and we have to root it out wherever it is. I want to make sure everybody's very, very clear on that. And I'm sorry, you know, that your friends could not dialogue with you, at least educate you, or you educate them on where you're coming from and have a, a spirit of dialogue in this. We've almost lost some of that today, haven't we, Doctor? There's, there's no forgiveness, there's no tolerance a, at all. But maybe you can address the issue of what you're seeing in the country. You know, there, there's this, the, the other narrative is that, you know, the culture, there's a, a pervasive and systematic racism that runs through um, through the culture. What you find in your research on that? Did anything come up that was revealing? Well, um, on this term systemic racism is, is really sort of a critical race theory term. Uh, I mean, it can have a meaning. Uh, I'm a sort of scientifically based um, academic, and so what I would always want to know is, okay, how am I going to measure the thing you're calling systemic racism to test whether it's real or it's not real, right? And right. There, it isn't testable. It's not measurable. It's, it's one of these shadowy things. It's like the Jews are behind everything. It's just not something that you can actually get a hold of, and that's for a reason, is so that you can't actually disprove this theory, which says that you can have racism without any actual racist. That's what systemic racism means. Uh, but of course, it's never really subjected to any testing. So they'll just say, well, there's a, there's a gap in incomes or wealth between blacks and whites, so that's proof. Well, actually, there's many reasons for that, right, for that gap. Instead of doing the hard work of trying to, to prove what the actual reasons are, it's easier, easier to just have this broad brush, um, you know, almost conspiracy theory that says that, you know, well, it's deep wired into the right. DNA of the U.S. But, you know, if, if I'd said, well, the U.S. Is, is in the DNA of the U.S., it's an anti-Catholic country. Come on, we know it from American history. Right. How are you going to disprove that, right? You, ha- you have to have something that's measurable here. Right. Right. And I think the same thing goes for systemic racism. That's a great point. Uh, Janice in La Crosse, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Professor Kaufman. Welcome. Yes, hi. Thank you, Drew and Professor. I, I, for me, I'm 72 years old, and for me, this whole thing has been just completely, uh, I want to say fabricated, but it's been completely uh, this uh, agenda, what do you want to call it, the liberal media, the Democrats, they have absolutely created this. And these kids have been, they're all young, yeah. and I'm 72, I've never had anything like this in my life. I mean, yeah. I'm Went to public school, you know, I said, one nation under God. We had U.S. history, mm-hmm. respected our history, and these kids are tearing everything down, That these, the statues. I go, you've got to be kidding. What's wrong with this, this situation? And I'm over here in Minnesota. I hate to even say it. Yep. And I thought, this George Floyd thing, I've, I've never would condone, you know, anybody dying or killing somebody. But I feel like saying now they've taken this, the, the Antifa, the BLM, and they've blown this thing up. To George Floyd is is some kind of a saint, and he was a felon. You know, this guy is taking fentanyl. I mean, he's all right, uh, Janice. Let me hold you just on that point, okay? So What's we can wrong with this story. So we we can talk. Thank you for for your call too. And Professor, let's let's respond to her. Seventy two years of age, and um, again, she's you know, I think articulating the fact she's part of a, a media narrative. We she comes from a different generation than the generation of kids today do. And are those kids in this generation today have a whole new media platform, a whole new way of communicating 
than any others. Uh, you know, and things do change. You found that social media is enhancing this uh, perception of racism in the culture as well. And one of the, the numbers that you came up with was that 53% of black Americans who use social media said they have experienced people acting suspicious around them compared to 31% of black Americans who don't use social media. To me, that's striking. What role does, we, we know what the, the mainstream media does, what role does social media play into this, procession, this perception that America is, is a racist <laughs> nation? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's having a very sort of similar effect as the media where you know, you'll get vivid images and narratives that are sort of circulated around in peer groups, and that seems to convince a number of people. I mean, it's important to note that even when you control for the age, the education level, uh, gender, and, and all these other characteristics, social media use had an independent uh, effect. So it's not simply that social media users are younger or have higher education. It's it's an independent effect, and, and and I think that just goes to this sort of media-driven part of this. Is this it's that combination of the media interacting with partisan polarization that seems to be driving uh, this this flawed perception of rising racism in in America. Yeah. Well, look, I want to thank you for your time, Professor. Uh, great job on the research and the data. I'm, I'm grateful for it. If people want to read uh, the paper you wrote, the social construction of racism in the United States. How do they get connected? Well, thanks, Drew. You, you, can, uh, you can look at either the Manhattan Institute report or you can look at my website, www.sneps.net. That's S-N-E-P-S dot net. Right, S-N-E-P-S dot net. We'll check that out. Hey, yes. thank you. Well, I look forward to another conversation. Keep up your great work. Thanks very much, Drew. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you. Eric Kaufman, professor of uh, politics at uh, Birkbeck College at the University of London and adjunct professor at the Manhattan Institute. Check out his article. Uh, let me leave you with this final thought here as we talk about racism. I mean, it's, it's something that is, as a Catholic, as a citizen of this country, um, you know, it has got to be rooted out if you see it anywhere. I mean, the catechism of our church teaches very clearly that we are created in the image and likeness of God, right? That you and I were endowed with rational souls and that all men, regardless of the color of our skin, the pigmentation of our skin, we all have the same nature, the same origin, right? We've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. You know, we all have an equal dignity. And that's what's so important. I often think of a scripture. It always struck me. It comes from the book of Revelation. St. John had this vision, right? What did he see in that vision? He had a vision of a great multitude, he says, which no one could count from every nation, every race, every people, every tongue. They stood before the throne, before the Lamb. They wore these white robes. They, they were holding palm branches in their hands. And if that's the case, before the throne of God, then we have no choice but to remove all the racism from our own hearts. You should get a catechism. Catechism 1935. Read what it says about racism. When we come back, let's pray for an end of it pray for conversion of hardened hearts and let's pray for you and those needs that you have we'll do that right after this 